Back to Deuteronomy chapter number 6, and once again, the book of Deuteronomy is the fifth book of our Bible. Uh, it's part of the Pentateuch, beginning with Genesis, how God started the human race with Adam and Eve, and how He started the Hebrew race with Abraham and Sarah. And uh, then, at the end of Genesis, we find that 70 descendants of Abraham are in Egypt with Joseph. 400 years passes, and they are now turned into slaves, and there's an exodus that's needed. And so God provides an exodus through a blood of an innocent lamb to be put on a doorpost and to give a deliverer in Moses to take him away from Pharaoh, a type of Satan. And there we have the book of Exodus. The book of Leviticus is the next book, a little more challenging because it's written to the Levitical priesthood. It's written to the Aaron's sons on how to teach God's people a new way of worship and his words, his ways and his words. Well, that, that challenged him, and, and you, you kind of look at that. There's all, everything in the book of Leviticus is types and shadows of who Jesus is. It's showing us Jesus. It's types and shadows of who Christ is. And he gave the book of Exodus to show us how he got his, his people out of Egypt. Leviticus is given to get Egypt out of his people because all of us, we have a lot of Egypt still in us. And it needs to be worked out, and we do that through the Word of God and through the instruments that God gives us in people who would disciple us, people who would teach us the Bible, teach us uh, Sunday school teachers and group leaders and, and pastors and so forth and so on that would minister to us. The book of Numbers is a book of wondering. It, it chronicles God's people as they went around Mount Sinai over and over again, taking trips around Mount Sinai till they learned their lesson and... Uh, Hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands of funerals took place. For anyone who was 40 years and older, they uh, were buried, waiting, and a new tribe has come in, a new group has come in. Uh, many of them were carried across, uh, across the, sea, the Red Sea on their mom and dad's arms. They were, did not know about slavery and things of that nature. A few of them that way, mo many of them, if not most of them, were born in the wilderness journey. And so they didn't have the memory of being a slave. They didn't have the understanding of Egypt. They didn't have that time there. But God wanted them to be, to be reminded again of his, his dictates. And he wanted to remind them. The book of Deuteronomy is a book of remembrance. And, he's, and now Moses is old. He's getting ready to, to fade off of the planet. And be buried by the Lord, not to come back until he would come back in the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and Elijah, and Elijah later on. But uh, Moses is older. Joshua is going to be the, the man who's going to take them into the promised land. They're camped out on the side of Jordan, getting the way to come on in. And he gets their attention. And he says, look, there's some things God wants you to know. And he rehearses again for them in chapter 5, the Ten Commandments. Go see, so look, these are things that, I, that God gave your forefathers uh, in, act, in Exodus chapter 20, but you begin to hear them again. He tells them in, De in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And then in chapter 6, he says, now look, all these rules, these things I've given you, I got, you got to get them, and you got to pass them on, because God is very concerned about the next generation. If you don't believe that, begin reading tonight in your devotions, uh, Psalms 78. He says, I want the generation to come 
Everybody who's not even been born yet, when they, when they show up in this world, I want them to set their hope in God. And for that to happen, somebody's got to step up. Somebody has to do their job. And he, he, he charges them with revelation. He charges them with a response, with a, with a responsibility, with a reminder, and a choice to reject unknown gods or gods that are not the God of Jehovah. Look at, if you would please, in verse number one of chapter six. Now, these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that ye might do them in the land whether ye go to possess it. Would you read verse two with me out loud, everybody? That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep his statutes, which I command thee, thy son, and all the days of thy life. Let me just tell you something based upon those two verses. God wants you to have a good life. <laughs> if you have a lousy life, it's not God's desire. He tells in John 10, 10, that I'm come, that you not just have life, but have life more abundantly. And every once in a while, some clown gets up, it's so hard to live a Christian life, tell you what, it's so awful. Okay, that person is crippled too high for crutches, okay? He's got rooms for rent unfurnished upstairs. He needs to figure that out. That's not true. That's a lie. The way of the transgressor is, yeah, you want to, you want to be an idiot, you'll find out what hardness is. You, you walk God's ways and do his way. He wants the best for us. Like any good parent, he wants to direct their children. He'll discipline their children so they do right because they're much more comfortable, secure, and successful when they do things God's way. Verse number three, the Bible tells us here, Hear ye, therefore, hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that you might dwell in the in, with that they might dwell well with thee, and that thou mayest increase. How, as the Lord thy God, the fathers have promised thee, and the land which floweth with milk and honey. He says, I want you to have a good life. I want you to increase. I want you to succeed. Verse number four. Here's the Shema. Here's the thing that. Oftentimes, Jewish people who are Orthodox Jews will oftentimes put on their phylacteries here. They'll put their strings on. They'll cover their head. And when they wake up in the morning and they go to, before they go to bed at night, they will read this particular section of Deuteronomy. Notice what it says in verse 4. Read it out loud with me, would you please? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, that is the revelation. We got one God. Now, I know Egypt had lots of them over there, and there are going to be lots of temptations for you to worship different gods, but there's only one God and one Lord, and that's the God Jehovah. Now, it implies he is one God and three persons, like you and I are one person. We're one individual, but we have three parts, and we're made in the image of God. You have a body that we can see. I have a body you can see. We have a soul, which is kind of how we think, how we feel, and what we, what we want, which is very different than anybody else. If you have multiple siblings in your family, you'll have one person that has a different soul, different personality. They'll have a different way they think, a different way that they, 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 they want things, a different way they feel about things. That's, that's who you are. That's, we don't see that part of you. That you send a visible, it's invisible. That's why the Bible says in the book of John, no man has seen God at any time. Talking about the soul of God, you don't see him. And the spirit of God is invisible. But Jesus is the image of God. So Jesus is the body of God, and the soul of God would be like the, the father of God. And the spirit of God, of course, is the Holy Spirit. But he's one God, and there's one Lord, and that's revealed. 
And, uh, of course, we live in a day where atheistic ideas are coming at our children early on. And I heard about a, heard about a guy I shared, I think, with staff devotions the other day, but I heard about an atheist father sitting down and telling his son that we're atheists and we don't believe in God and we don't believe everything was created by God and there's not a real God. You don't have to believe, you don't believe in a God. And, and he spent a whole dissertation helping his young boy understand that he's going to grow up in an atheist home. By the way, I, I talked to a young lady recently who got saved here in our church and, uh, and went through college with great depression and challenges and difficulties. She's now a believer, been saved and baptized, being discipled. But she said to me on the day of her salvation, when I had the joy to see her get saved, she said, Pastor, I have been fighting this because I'm coming to this church, I'm hearing what you say, and I've been told my whole life there's no God. And now I feel like there is a God. And I am having a hard time thinking I was raised in almost, it, it, it's, at least it's, it's unwise, but it, at worst it's cruel to be raised with all these problems and have no place to take them to. So I went through such deep and dark depression in my young adulthood because I have all these emotions and problems and, and now I have no one to take them to, but now you're telling me there's a real God who will take my burden and even take my sin. He said, I feel like it's almost cruel to raise your child in that situation. Well, this father was telling his young boy, he said, look, there's no God. We don't believe in him. We're atheists. It's an atheist family. And at the end of all of his dissertation, the little boy looked up at his dad and said, Daddy, do you think it bothers God that we say we don't believe in him? <laughs> you know why? Because no one's born an atheist. He already knew there's a God. He knew it. He knew, he knew it in his heart because we know it by conscience and creation. And you know, the truth of the matter is, uh, there is one Lord. And that's revealed to us in, in creation and in conscience and consequences of life. That's revealed to us in the scriptures, in the canon of scriptures, in Christ, in the calendar, uh, in consequences. These are things that God has revealed to us who he is. He said, hear, O Israel, our God is one Lord. Number two, since he's one Lord, look at our response needs to be. If, we, if he's the real God, and he is... What, what does it say in verse number five? Thou shalt, thy God, with all thy heart and with all, and with all thy might. He said, look, since there is a real God, now our response. The revelation, he is who he is. And the Bible says that he'll not deny himself. So if you believe not yet, he abide the faith, will cannot deny himself. He says, he's the real God, and our response is to love him. Would to God that everybody Love the Lord. It would be the big game changer. You wouldn't argue about dress standards if you love the Lord. <laughs> you wouldn't argue about, oh, it's just too hard to be a Christian if you really loved him. Heard about a little girl carrying her brother who was half his size. And, and it, just, it was just arduous trying to keep him up. And she had a long ways to walk. And uh, someone, he was walking and someone said, hey, girl, you got a real burden there. He goes, I don't have a burden. I have my brother. <laughs> And you know what she's saying? I love him. This is not a burden. This is a privilege. He's my brother. I love him. And when you, can, you have a big yes to Jesus, then it's easy to say no to wrong music. It's easy to say th no to things that are counterproductive to, to my walk with him. He said, look, hero Israel, revelation, you got one Lord. Number two, if he is who he said he was, 
You need to love him. Not just casually, but love him with all your heart, your soul, your might. Look at the next thing the Bible tells us in verse number six. And these words, speaking, I think, primarily of the words that he's telling them, but also the Ten Commandments listed in chapter five, the words of the Lord, which I commanded these days shall be in thine heart. So he said, I want you to have them, and I want you to have them deep inside of you that affects your thinking, your feelings, your emotions. Verse 7, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Here's the responsibility, and that's to pass it on. You know how you remember a joke? Tell a joke. You know how you learn the Bible? Teach the Bible. You know how you really grow in your understanding of the Bible? Disciple someone. They'll learn a little bit. You'll learn a lot. Teach a Sunday school class. When you find something from the Word of God, get your family around and say, let me just tell you quickly. I know we're not going to take a dissertation here, but this is what God showed me. You'll remember it. It'll capture it. Let it be in your heart. And then turn around and instruct someone else. Pass it on. Teach it diligently. Basically, you'll see in verse number 60, I want you to teach it with, with some effort unto your children and shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Basically, all the time, everywhere, in all of life, every child. Teach them personally, continually, practically, uh, scripturally. Uh, use the Word of God and continue to talk to the Bible. You know, I think this one of the weaknesses of Christianity, and I'll stop with this this evening because of time. But when, what you and I do with the Bible determines what God does with us. We can see two books, three books, we could probably know a lot about someone. We can see their Bible and their attention to their Bible. And I'm not saying you have to mark up your Bible or scar it. But usually when you find a Bible that's about ready to fall apart, it probably belongs to someone who's not falling apart. Because they use it and they read it and they love it. If you can see someone's checkbook, you can see their date book, and you can see their Bible, you'll know a lot about somebody. You can figure out what's valuable to them, what's important to them. And I think we ought to love our Bible. But we ought to love our Bible. Psalms 119, 89, oh, how I love the law. It's my meditation all the day. We ought to read our Bible. That's obvious. We ought to memorize our Bible. Thy word have I hid in mind. Our boys and girls sang that for us tonight. We ought to me meditate, think about the Bible. <coughs> we ought to share the Bible. We ought, to, we ought to obey the Bible. But one thing I think we oftentimes fail to do, and you remind me of this, Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy heart. Is that what your Bible says? Shall not depart out of thy mouth. Because I want you to talk about the Bible. It should be as normal for a Christian to breathe, to talk about the Bible as a human being to breathe. We talk about things we love, and that's sometimes where we have not mentioned anything about the Bible. I want to encourage you to make much of the Bible. He tells them here, number one, I've revealed myself in God. He's revealed himself to us. Number our, our, our response is to love him. Our responsibility is to talk about the Bible to those who are under, pass it on. Keep passing it on. And then he'll go on to say, remember what I did for you. When you go into your, into your promised land and you're drinking water out of wells you didn't dig and you're, you're slapping some honey off of a comb you didn't, you didn't uh, design, you're, getting all, you're eating grapes off of vines that you didn't plant, you're, you're enjoying all these things, he said then, he said, I want you not to forget me. Well, that is one of our problems too. 
we forget how good God's been. And we'll spend our time fighting about a few things that have been done to us at the expense of all the things that God has done for us. So I want you to remember, then I want you to make sure you don't give me any competition. God says, look, when those other gods come along, say no to them. Reject them with, a, with emphatic. Say, no, I'm not going to worship this. I'm not going to bow down to money when I have God. I'm not going to worry about, about this thing or that thing if I have God. I'm not going to do that. And if, if something has to change, let something else change and let God be God in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, thank you.